0: Welcome to the Ikigai Stories Podcast. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. In this episode, we talk to the CEO and co-founder of Hey Thrive, Dana Redmond, uh, hey Thrivey is a technology based personal concierge service uh, with the tagline, More Time for the Important Things in Life. I think that tagline resonates with everybody. Uh, it's especially relevant given Dana's background as a 17 year Microsoft vet. Uh, and upon leaving Microsoft, uh, one of the first things that she did was move to Spain for a summer with her nine-year-old son. Uh, she talks about what that experience was like, going from you know one of the corporate behemoths uh, in the world, at Microsoft, working in various departments, loving that experience, learning from that experience, but ultimately you know feeling that she wanted to do more, um, but hitting the pause and spending time with her nine-year-old son living in Spain and just immersing the two of them into an unfamiliar environment where they both were growing as you know, as human beings, as people, but obviously growing as a son, as a mother, um, and what that experience looks like. So she talks, she has a line where she says, you get to decide how you experience it, so let's go in with an open mind. There's a ton of value in just slowing down. I think that's just, a, there's so much... Um, depth in that statement, both within, you know, international travel, but also just as a life philosophy. Uh, Dana is a former podcast host. She hosted the Career Q podcast where she did approximately 90 episodes. Uh, I have an opportunity here to flip the script on her and ask her some of the questions that she would ask her guests. Uh, And then she wraps up by talking about a philosophy, a life philosophy called the planned serendipity, uh, which I think is just a great philosophy, uh, personally, professionally, you know, business, home, just all walks of life. Um, or essentially planned serendipity as the way Dana describes it, is that there is this world of opportunity that's out there, but you need to be open to it. Um, because if you're not even partially open to it, then you're going to miss it. And so it's this idea that, you know, make your own luck, but part of making your own luck is being open and immersing yourself into new environments like she had done uh, with her nine-year-old son in Spain. Uh, Dana is very high energy. She's got just great uh, perspectives, great philosophies on life, and I really enjoyed this conversation with Dana, and I uh, know that you will enjoy this conversation as well. So Please enjoy episode number two of the Ikigai Stories podcast with Dana Redman, the CEO and co-founder of Hey Thrivey. Dana, thank you for being here. Well,
1: thank you, Sam. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, can you tell us about Hey Thrivey?
1: Yeah, so Hey Thrivey is a personal concierge service. Um, our our big difference is we are a subscription model. So for one flat monthly fee, um, you know people are able to get all this help that's just included within that that one monthly fee. So we do everything from you know picking up dry cleaning, to, you know doing all those errands that people don't have time to do, and or they spend their weekends doing them, dry cleaning shoes to the cobbler, you know making returns, you know picking up that special dog food from that one dog food store that sells it. Um, We also help do home management projects, so people need to get landscapers in and they need handymen in, and so they've gotta, we go through, we have a trusted network of vendors that we use, that we've vetted, Um, and then we're also then there to meet those people at, at the client's home. So the client doesn't have to take time off work to meet the handyman. We can be there and manage that person for them. Same thing with landscapers and plumbers and whatever else it takes. Um, and then the other piece we have in there is what it's basically a, we call it a home booster. So it's a weekly, once a week in the home um, to where we're just helping to tidy up. So it's stuff that actually house cleaners don't usually do. Um, you know, we can sort through mail, we can, you know, clean, you know, go through and reorganize closets, go through and reorganize pantries. So kind of that a little bit higher level Level of you know thought process needing to know a little bit about the client to make their life work smoothly, but you know we're really all about sort of helping people get the help that they need so that they can spend uh, you know time on what's important to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there specific targets that? Uh, that you focus on or that gravitate toward hey, Thriving? You know,
1: it's really sort of that urban working professional. So, um, you know, we have, you know, the, the commonality between all everybody is they're busy. Um, and mm-hmm. some people are very, most people are very busy with work. So have very big, full careers that keep them busy, but then also the rest of their life. So either they've got a family that's very active or they themselves are very active. We've had you know people that are like avid rock climbers, and so guess what? Every Saturday and Sunday they are out mm. climbing. You know, climbing. They do not want to spend those weekends picking up dry cleaning. You know, we've got cyclists, people that are avid cyclists who again want to spend their evenings and weekends doing that. We've got people that have just very full family lives. You know, two working adults in a family plus three kids with school activities. You know, that's a lot going on, and so they just I need some of that help to get them through. Right?
0: Are there um So, are there specific stories that you can think of? So, you're kind of referencing some of this of of people who have. So, there's a combination of it. Sounds like blocking and tackling, Mm -hmm. and then also passion pursuits um, under this header of (laughs) we're just crazy busy. Yes, yeah. Um, Are there are there other categories between passion pursuits and just, I'm trying to keep my nose above water as a parent with three young children. Yeah,
1: you know, like... the the other place is, you know, we actually have a number of clients who really have their act together, mm-hmm. and they need us to come in and help them keep their act together. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, folks who have previously had nannies or babysitters that have, you know, sort of picked up a lot of the slack, but now their kids are older, and they don't need the child care, but they still need some of mm-hmm. that you know, some of that other assistance that somebody was providing for them. And so, you know, these are people that are super organized. I walk in, I think, gosh, can you come organize my own home, (laughs) you know? Uh, But they just need us. They need that little bit of support. I mean, and so I'm a big believer, and I just want to change the way people think about getting help. Um, So many people think, oh, I should be able to do it myself. I can do it myself. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't, you know, make you happy or bring you joy or it takes you away from doing something that you Sort of find joy in doing, then let us take that off your hands for you. Um, Which is also why we came up with um, the subscription model. So, you know, it's a flat monthly fee and you get all these things included. Because as we've talked, as I've talked to people and, and early on doing sort of customer interviews, you know, asking people, do they get help, and if not, why? And it was always like, well, I had help for a while, I found somebody off this website, but you know, I, you know, I, I, did, I didn't want to pay them, you know, that number of dollars an hour to keep doing that. I figured I could go pick up my own dry or I could go do this. And then at the end of the day, while they've saved themselves a little bit of money, by not paying somebody, they end up with this huge to do list. And so, you know, they're just not, um, you know, they're not excited. I mean, we just onboarded somebody yesterday um, and I got a message from her last night. She's like, I'm just putting all this stuff in the app. I hope that's okay. She's like, it feels so freeing. I can just get all this stuff out of my brain that she's, want, you know, that, I, that she's wanted done. And I was like, yeah. that's exactly why we're here. You load all of that into the app, and then our home manager start tackling that for you. So, you know, I like to think that we sort of, you know, we're like this all-inclusive sort of resort where you can just walk in and know stuff's going to get taken care of. You yeah. offload your to-do list, get all of that mentally out of your brain or off of papers like the number of times you walk in I walk into an onboarding and somebody's like oh I made a list and you know they have this big paper to-do list that they have stuff they've wanted to get done that they just haven't had the time or the energy or hasn't risen to the emergency Mm -hmm. and so they haven't done it but with us they can get it done
0: so what does the process look like can you talk about the technology, the use of yeah, technology, yeah. and how I just dump my brain yep. into this technology? So yeah, so it, yeah. we,
1: um, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, I was pretty passionate about right from the beginning is that we be very much tech enabled, and so that it's as easy as possible for our clients to get in touch with us, and so it's you know just becomes into things uh, you know a natural thing for them to do. So, um, you know, we have an app, and that's the way we communicate with our clients. They go in, they submit their um, you know a task, they categorize it, they put in as much detail as possible. The um, you know, on the back end, we've got our own app. Our home managers can correspond with the clients there and see all the tasks coming in. Um, and you know, then a client can go, "Oh, did I ask them to find me a dog walker for vacation in three weeks? Oh, yep, I did. It's already there. Oh, and let me check on the status. So it's." One place for them to see all the tasks that they've, you know, given us, sort of the different statuses of them, any communications back and forth, sort of, you know, where that home manager is on that, um, on it, and so we found that the app has been, um, you know, very well received. You know, people do; they're so used to having that like right at their fingertips, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then they can like at bed wake up, you know, like we'll get, you know, I I see when tasks get added by clients, it's like oh, there's a midnight task or like there's a one somebody I can imagine like wakes up or is like off before they go to bed they're like oh crap i need help with that <laughs> right, thing, right and so right. they they can just enter it in the app and we pick it up during our normal day we're not 24 by 7 work wise we are but our app always is right and so that's super helpful for our clients
0: and the home manager so yeah. so there's a tech there's a technology component there's a human being and then the
1: human piece the human component to it is really i think that um is what sort of, you know is what makes it the bread and the butter. Like they are the most important part. So the home managers are um, actual employees of ours. We don't use contractors. We're not a gig economy. Yeah. Um, and again, that was very important from the way um, I wanted our clients to feel taken care of. It's not a different person that comes into their house each week. It's not a different person you know that they're interacting with, they're interacting with that same home manager um, week in and week out so they get to know them, the home manager gets to know them and sort of we as a company can get to know them and then we can get somewhat predictive. Like we know the, the people who have kids in grade school. So in January, we were saying, hey, are your kids ready for Valentine's Day? Do you need us to, you know, Mm. buy, buy Valentine's for your kids to get out at school, you know, around, you know, around, like all of our folks had, if they wanted to order pies for Thanksgiving, we had that stuff taken care of in October for them. We're like, hey, are you hosting? Do you need chairs? Mm. And so we can get to know the clients and, you know, before things become an emergency for them, um, you know, we can help them get sort of, you know, predictive about their life in a way. And all because we get to, know them their households what they need uh, you know same thing it's like okay oh you know, spring break's coming who need who what families are going away what do you okay. need do you have you know Do you have sun, going somewhere sunny Need sunscreen oh ski season was coming up you know we had people we took skis in to get waxed you know so we wow. can help people get ahead of yeah. ahead of sort of yeah. where they are because we can you know we sort of have this bigger purview of you know sort of lives in general
0: yeah how uh, how does the home manager and the client Build that relationship. Is it? What was the onboarding process look yeah. like? Yeah.
1: So the onboarding process really. So the first meeting is, um, you know, in the home. It's at you know we call it an onboarding session, and the home manager meets the client, um, and then from there it really. That relationship then varies so much per client. So some of our clients, they are there at every home booster. So the home manager sees them every mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at, you know, the client is working like side by side. They're sorting through closets, and you know, they're helping them say, "Do you need this? Am I giving this away?" You know. Side by side, other ones, you know, we've had clients that I don't know that we've laid eyes on that client since that onboarding session, and it's yeah. all just online, Yeah. but because we have the app and we have email and so if it still feels very personal, you can still get to know them Yeah. Um, in a way which is the requests there, you know, that are coming in. And yeah. so it's really, um, you know, we take our cue from the client, sort of in how much they, uh, you know, want to engage and be there. And, you know, and then we have clients that are sometimes there, sometimes they're not, you know.
0: Right, <laughs> right. The the predictive component is interesting. How how do you build that body of knowledge? Is it just based on experience and repetition, and just over time you realize, oh, we should ask them about X or yeah, yeah. some
1: of it is, and a lot. You know, yeah. we um, initially we did a lot of sort of deep thinking around sort of what is the a home life, a normal home life cycle over a year, over a week, over a month, and what does that need to, you know, what are some of those ideas that can look like? And then because we have that, you know, those body of tasks, and we've been in business now long enough, we can look back and go, oh my gosh, these are the most popular tasks. Those tend to come in, you know, the beginning of the month. Okay, is that something we should be asking other clients if they need, or um, you know, like this summer, who knew? Seattle had like this outbreak of moths, like the number of clients initially, you know, like they would say like, hey, I think I've got a moth problem. And then we got to this place like, hey, clients, do you want us to look and see if you have a moth problem? You know, we can, we know, I now know the, the great moth, you know, the folks who can come in, we can bring in, the, that can help you get rid of your moths if you have a problem. So like, but it's an interesting, I was like, I didn't know we were having a moth infestation, but the number of homes that were actually impacted by moths, like, okay
0: i didn't know we had a, a moth
1: yeah we did like this summer it was moth. apparently the great moths of 2018. 2018 that's mm-hmm. what we're gonna
0: mm-hmm. be telling our grandkids about huh <laughs> um interesting so when a client joins hey Thrivey, is there a point in which they really can feel the tangible benefit like just an observation mm-hmm. this is more mm-hmm. of a qualitative right, question right, than right. anything yeah, yeah like where they just like you were describing the person who was Downloading all the tasks into yeah. the app, and that was very freeing. Like, yeah. is, are there stages of the Hay Thrivy experience? Yeah, you, you know, I,
1: I think there are. So, there is the first stage of it is they've just downloaded all of these tasks and thoughts and projects, and you know, we'll walk in there like, oh, well, we wanted to get our decree done. We've been thinking about getting blinds in the house, you know, we've had a leaky faucet, like all of these things, and so then we. You know prioritize them those bigger projects and say okay let's go through those and usually by about month two or three we've actually gotten them through getting bids on a lot of this so Mm -hmm. so what i've found is a lot of people have these home projects that they think they want to do but they've never put any level of research into them so when we get somebody in to like give them a bid and they realize wow that's twenty thousand dollars to get all new blinds in my home okay, I'm just crossing that desire off my list. Or they go, gosh, that, you know, whatever, it's the flip, I didn't realize it was gonna be so economical, of course. Now I actually don't just want blinds in my upstairs, I want blinds everywhere, you know. So we help people sort of get to this place where they can make decisions Hmm. on a lot of projects. And that's usually like a three month kind of phase to sort of help them gather the information so they can make informed decisions. Um, and then for the clients that really have just a lot of day-to-day tasks, that's also, you know, within month one, we see them just in this great rhythm. They're like, yep, there's my dry cleaning every week, there's the bag that needs to go out to donations every week, mm-hmm. you know, here's the mail I need shipped, and they just get in this rhythm. And so, you know, they know every week, you know, these five or six things are just getting taken care of for them. And that transition happens really quickly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people, uh, and then it really is cyclical, like around the holiday time, the number of people that were, oh my gosh, I've got, you know, cousin, or my, my cousins are nine years old, and can you find a gift for them? Or my nephews mm-hmm. in California like trucks, what's your recommendation for them? Yeah. And so things that where maybe they would have like put off and had to rush order, lego kits or whatever you know we can help them sort of get ahead of get ahead of that so it's interesting so some of it is just your time with us i think some of it is also driven by the calendar of events that's happening
0: so those types of one-offs are those so how does that work on a tactical level with the home manager? is, is that uh, so, uh, you, so you see you mentioned subscription based with home manager in the home yeah
1: so they're in the home once a week and we yep. set that up so you know uh, the client knows every Monday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. the home managers in their home and that's when they can do stuff for them in in their house mm-hmm. um, but that's also when they pick up the dry cleaning when they pick up the donations when they pick up the you know things that need to be mailed that's also then if we've bought anything for them or we return the dry cleaning from the previous week to them mm-hmm. um, you know and and it's nice because that's the kind of stuff like if we're you know when we're bringing in dry cleaning we're not just Bringing in dry cleaning and hanging it on the front door, we actually get it into their closet, take the plastic off, get it transitioned to normal hangers, and we can take away those hangers. Mm. Right, so it's not just that delivery, but it's that extra piece—the thing you would want done right. when you bring in your dry cleaning. Right, the, all that you know—you don't want it all hanging in the bags on you know those wire hangers. So right. you know we can do that just that little bit extra because we're in the person's home. We're not yeah. just a sort of a delivery or errand service.
0: And so I, I recall. An example that you had given me once about Comcast, so trying to, or any type of service provider that hits the home, and they are in these weird windows.
1: Yes, of returning boxes. You know, like we uh, we had a client that had moved that needed to return their Comcast box within, you know, a certain amount of time where they were going to get charged. So, you know, we can take care of sort of all of those types of things. And the number of, I mean, probably one of the things we do the most is return stuff for Mm -hmm. people to stores and even (laughs) online purchases and the number of times when people are like oh here's the receipt and it's like a 12 month old receipt because they've (laughs) been sitting there with that pair of pants that they didn't no longer wanted or didn't fit and had just haven't gotten around to it and so we call or we you know we we like hey we've had this really long time is that something we can still return you know and a lot of people because we because we can call because we can put that extra effort in you know we get people's returns taken back like that kind of stuff
0: yeah so where where did Hey Thrivey start? What's the genesis of Yeah,
1: I mean, it really came out of um, sort of my own personal need and uh, my uh, co founders' personal need. So you know, we both were working professionals who had busy careers, spouses with busy careers, and you know, kids with busy lives. And you know, we really always thought, like, gosh, like I remember thinking, like, I wish I could have somebody that could help me, but I was. Personally, never um, sort of in a socioeconomic level where I could hire somebody full time to be my house manager, nor did I think I had, a, had enough time to keep somebody busy for 40 hours a week. Even 20 hours a week mm-hmm. was too much. Um, I personally had tried to go down the route of using some of the, the marketplaces. So, hey, let me put this task out there and see who can help me. And... You know, my one example is I needed my deck refinished. And I put my request out there like very specific about the type of wood my deck was and all this stuff. And I got no less than like 13 replies, texts, emails, phone calls from 13 totally unqualified people. So that burden went back on me. So while this website was useful for me to put my request out there, I still personally was having to filter it, and I was like, it's useless. You know, just as a consumer, wasn't helpful. I was like, I wish there could be somebody (laughs) in between that for me, helping me screen that so that I don't have to have all that mental burden of it. So it really grew out of sort of, you know, my own personal need, my co-founder's personal need, and we were having, uh, you know, we were we met for brunch one day, and we were sort of bemoaning our lives, and we're like, there's got to be the solution out there, and I'm like, let's go look for it. And we went out and looked, nothing that like met what we thought we needed, so we said, let's try to build it. And so we started, uh, you know, interviewing potential clients and getting really good reception to it, and then from there, you know, started building the app and, you know, launched the business, so...
0: How long did it go from bemoaning over brunch? To <laughs> to bemoaning, a brunch bemoaning brunch to, to <laughs> a prototype. We to a bemoaning
1: launch. brunch was um was April to August when we were still like doing. Bemoaning a brunch happened in August, and we thought, let's go figure this out. Let's interview people. Let's see if this could be a real business. August was when we incorporated and mm. like so we'd done our client research. We figured out that we had product market fit. You know, from as much as you can do from interviews and yeah. surveys and you know looking at the market. Okay. Um, and then we had the app built um, August to December, and then launched in a January, January wow. 2018.
0: So that's so less seven than 7 months, eight yeah, months. less
1: than a year from like idea pain point to, you know, launching to paying customers.
0: Yeah. And how many times has it evolved, iterated since then?
1: Yeah, you know, we've probably had about two big expansions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our latest expansion has been really going after uh, apartment dwellers and sort of condo dwellers. So we had initially really thought like, oh, in a single family home, you need lots of vendor help. You need lots of that. Um, And then as I started talking with sort of people who who qualified in that busy category or working professionals, but they were living in condos and apartments and they didn't need window washers and landscapers, they really needed, they still needed that help in the home, yeah. and they still needed that, you know, unlimited number of tasks and errands. And so we crafted up a package, you know, geared specifically at that apartment dweller. Hmm. Um, that was at a little bit pro- lower price point, because they didn't need some of, they didn't need our sort of our network of vendors. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then that's been, so that's been a nice, you know, sort of transition. So I really think about it much more as, um, you know, sort of as expansions of our, of our target sort of customer, the people that can use us, and creating the right sort of package for them.
0: Right, right. Um, so back to the Bemoinian brunch, yeah, or just that, that <laughs> time. Yeah. Um, so that was about what? Well, eight eight months ish until you were taking your first check, yeah, or collecting yep. your first dollar. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you just describe that time frame, like just yeah. the the psychology involved with Juggling an idea and turning that idea into a reality, and probably having um, some doubts along the way, and have, working with a co founder. Can you just. Yeah. Just so it, you know, book? it
1: was, it was, um, there were some ups and downs. Like, I started out super excited, yep, I'm doing this, and then started digging in with the clients and trying to. You know, there was this combination of I had a vision in mind, but then I also really wanted to know like, what is it people that are busy that get help, why don't they get help, you know, how, or how do they get help and where? Um, you know, and I, you know, one of the big ahas really was this idea that people, sort of nickel and dimed themselves into saving money, but without getting help, you know? So Mm -hmm. they were willing to, they didn't want to pay somebody per task. Um, You know, like my own experience had been, I had been less concerned about that. It was more sort of that overhead of like, trying to find who could do that task was my big, you know, was where we went from it. But where it was really like, no, they really didn't want to, Sort of you know have to pay somebody five dollars for this or ten dollars for that and question one well, did it really take them 20 minutes to do that and should right. i should it have should i have been paying them 30 minutes and and so which really helped shape sort of that idea of a subscription you know this sub- subscription model that had lots of stuff included in it and yeah. then you know if it's anything outside of that great we can talk about what that looks like but um so like that was a piece of it like oh and then um i would also say in sort of trying to figure out what we wanted in the app, and so anybody that's ever worked in technology, you sort of start out with this giant, lovely idea, and then reality sort of hits the road, and you say timeline, like, okay, how can we get it out? Like, what is the, you know, MVP? What's that minimal viable product um out there? What what's gonna get the need? Because then we also knew pretty quickly, like, I didn't want to invest a lot of Time, money, and energy in building a piece of technology that wasn't what the clients needed or wanted from us. Um, and that personally was a little bit of a hard, um, hard nut to swallow or whatever the right word is there because you know I really wanted something I've got all these ideas and I could do this and I could do that in reality like we just needed to come out with like what was the bare minimum that could get us started because we still really needed to do um, you know in market product market fit like you can interview people you can send out surveys all that but until you open your doors and ask for your first dollar Mm That's the, fir- that's the only way you are gonna know if people will really buy your product. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we did. So we knew early on, like we went out and so we'd never had a, you know, our, our pilot was a paid pilot. We did not give away our services for free because that was the other thing we knew was a lot of people will take stuff. Yeah, sure, they'd be willing to like have a service for free or, you know, so we went out with a paid pilot. We're like, great, we want you to be part of our pilot um, participants, but it's gonna cost you. Like, you know, this is, this is a business we're trying to build and we need to see if people are gonna be willing to pay for that. Yeah. Um, and then along the way, you know, we got a lot of feedback, and so then you start to get, um, you know, everybody's a business advisor, everybody's got an opinion. Um, our business isn't such that it is hard to understand. You know, people get, yeah, I understand what personal assistants do or home managers, and so that means everybody <laughs> wants to give you advice. Um you know, like, down to, like, my Uber drivers have given me advice <laughs> on my business. Well, you know, well, you really ought to. and I, You know, or I'll have somebody like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Let's chat. Like, oh, well, you really ought to. You really need to consider. And, I, you know, a number of times I'm just kind of like, mm, you know, I get to I'm like, yep, got an interesting idea. Yep, interesting. Um, right. So, you know, that, and that was a little bit hard to take sort of, too, during that, um, during that that you know during that time frame of like as we were trying to do product market fit uh and you know getting opinions and you know we had very very experienced entrepreneurs tell us one thing I mean there was probably a period of like a week where we met with like I I met with like five different people and all five of those different people had very different, like, one, go out for funding now, go big, go crazy, right, another one was like, no, keep bootstrapping, another one's like, well, you ought to consider that, you know, and you just sit there as, um, you know, this is my first, you know, sort of venture at scale, me doing this, like, who do I listen to? And, you know, at the yeah. heart of it, then it comes down to, I just had to, like, buckle down and go, what is it that I want, you yeah. know, like that, people will paint a picture, and I'm kind of like, gosh, that's not, their vision is actually not the vision for the company, Yeah. like, so great, all, that's duly noted, but that's yeah. not where I'm going. And so that was also, you know, that during that period of time before we got into market and before we sort of had really sort of launched and could say, no, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the more challenging things with all, you know, very qualified advice down to not so qualified advice,
0: but yeah. advice nonetheless. Yeah. So how how did you sift through all that? Or how, how did you yeah. decide, I'm going to make the decision, I'm going to stop, taking that advice yeah. or filter the advice or?
1: It was, um, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I did a lot of talking through. So, uh, you know, what I'd say is I, so between my co-founder and I, like, it was great um, with my original co-founder because we could sort of bump ideas off of and, gosh, that did that feel right to you? No, that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. And there were things that she and I, you know, totally differed on too, like this way or that way. And we kind of, you know, rock, paper, scissors, that's the way we're <laughs> gonna side. um, You know, what makes the most sense? Um, but then also, you know, I have a couple of trusted advisors that I, you know, from a personal level, pre Hey Thrivey, um, that I trusted sort of their, them as a sounding board um, in good business sense. And I could go to them and go, "Does this, you know, like I want to talk this through?" And one of my secrets, honestly, is like I sleep on it. Like I'm always like, "Okay, I think I need to sleep on it," and like mm. that always, you know, there, you know, it's the, that psychology of just being able to like free your brain a little bit, and you wake up the next morning, you're like, "Oh nope, this is what makes sense." Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't.
0: Has it been a, a, a Dana signature move?
1: <laughs> it. Is that on always it? like yeah.
0: a, a sleep on it type thing? That's have, hard. That's I not have, easy, especially if you've got that much advice mm-hmm. coming at you from that many directions.
1: I have learned that about myself over the years is yeah. I, uh, you know, there's a saying like, um, you know, go slow to go fast. Like I have learned for myself that when I sort of make a knee jerk or rash decision or quickly take some advice, Um, it's not always the most thought through for me. And so I do need to say like, take it all in. And then I just need to, and kind of not even think about it. It's not like I make, you know, like continue to ruminate on it. I just need to go, yup it sits in the back of my brain I go do other stuff you know whatever I'm eating dinner it's usually you know then you're in the shower the next morning you're like oh that's the right path and for me that I know that about myself that I my brain keeps working on it in the back you know the the back channels (laughs) Um, and it's it's really important that I be willing to do that and sometimes that's hard when you've got other business partners or other people who are wanting to move fast in an area to have to say like, no, I, you know, I need to take some time. Um, you know, no, I can't make that decision right now. You cause know, so I had people approach me about partnerships or doing this or that. I'm like, I just need, I just need some time. I'll get back to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough though, to make, to keep the emotional decision yes. down yes. and let the executive functions. Function. Yes. Yeah. Thrive. And,
1: you know, and that's, there's so much of it where you, I just have to say, okay, like, what is the metric on, you know, I have to sort of go back to, because there mm. are things that look like fun and interesting, but then I have to say, okay, wait, what, is there a financial ROI on that investment? Yeah. Is that, is there, yeah. you know, if I spend my time, it's not even on money that I spend on the business, but sometimes it's just on my time, like, right. what is my, what is the ROI for either me personally or for my business if I invest time and energy in engaging with that person or that group or whatever, right? And so the more I can make myself just say, okay, what, you know, put some kind of metric on it. By this date, this has to be true. Um, Then it also, then it isn't an emotional decision. I can you know say yes or no to a business partnership or something like that.
0: Yeah, logic-based.
1: Yes, yeah. It's hard though, because sometimes the shiny looks really cool.
0: Yeah, (laughs) sometimes the shiny is cool. Um, so can you back way up to? Uh, so you worked. The irony of your last name and where you worked <laughs> where, for eighteen yes, years. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person to to acknowledge that. Can you just talk about just your 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 journey to yeah. Hey Friday? What it looked yeah.
1: like? Yeah. So um, I spent uh, seventeen years uh, at Microsoft in a whole variety of roles, and yes, at one point I lived on Redmond Woodenville Road in Redmond and my last name is Redmond and I worked in Redmond so I was not escaping the Redmond uh the Redmond vibe um and I you know I feel super fortunate to have been at such a large corporation that gave me so many opportunities I took a number of sort of uh you know 90 degree turns in my career i started out in recruiting and i went from recruiting to uh, the human resources it department so i sort of like yep i know a lot about recruiting let me go now work in the it team that works with the recruiters Um, and then i went from oh now i understand it and systems and product management and systems development okay now let me take that over into broader areas of hr okay now let me take all of that systems and process thinking into a whole new area, which, you know, was online at that point was MSN. Mm. I mean, you know, like this kind of dates me, but this is when MSN was in some of its earliest days. And I moved into like, hey, but I understood, I didn't know the first thing about online advertising, what that even meant, but I knew systems and processes and tools. And so I took another left turn into working in, you know, the online advertising business. Um, and sort of moving, moving through all the different, whether it was you know display advertising, you know content advertising, um, you know search advertising, and sort of worked my way around that. Um, and so, like, I feel very fortunate to have been in a place that afforded me like a ton of different opportunities to really take what was just sort of, you know, my core competencies, sort of those things I was good at, and apply them in new in new areas. Um, and so yeah, I spent 17 years there. When I left, I was a, a director in uh, the support teams for uh, being advertising.
0: Okay, okay. So you were there, what's the 17 year span?
1: Um, I left in 2015, so okay. 98 to wow. 15. So during some phenomenal growth periods yeah. too for the company, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Was, I don't think it was, I mean, the internet was just starting right around. I mean, it was. I mean, on a mass.
1: Yeah, I mean, level. it it was there. Yeah, it you know like it was there, and you know email like all of that was there. But from yeah. sort of how people would get content, and you right. know, like I remember being. At a job fair for Microsoft, and across the way was this tiny little table from this company called Google. We're like, what's Goggle? What? Let's go talk to them. And they gave us free T-shirts. We're like, look at us. We got—they're like, called Google. It's really weird, you know. Like, you know. So it's phenomenal to have had a front row sort yeah. of to some of that, right? Like, I even think about sort of Facebook and uh, you know, initially sort of Microsoft's relationship with Facebook, and you know, like like watching some of these companies grow from inside of another company that was partnering with them in some ways and all of a sudden they're not partnered you know it's an interesting it's been an interesting journey
0: what were some of the what were the two or three key takeaways that you had in working at microsoft that's that's equipped you for what you're doing today
1: yeah one i it's it's all about um the finding out finding those um the key partners for me. So it was, you know, a gigantic company like Microsoft. You couldn't know everybody, but you needed to know a few key people. And so, you know, figuring out who could be your advocates um, for your pro, you know, not just on a personal level, but for your project. Like figuring out who could you talk to that would understand your project, that could help promote your project, that could help you get the resources you needed for your project. Who could be that, you know, sort of key partner for you, um, and and how to sort of assess that out. Um, I also say, you know, just this ability to um, sort of push back and call BS on BS. So, you know, in starting, especially in starting uh, Hey Thrivey, as we were getting, we were going out looking for partners to build our app because we ourselves were not the hands-on developers. Um, You know, the number of sort of different models and different things and different companies that sort of came at us in weird ways. And I was always like, yeah, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound right. So, you know, just this ability to sort of trust in, trust in what knowledge I had and, you know, ask the right questions and then just walk away when it didn't feel right. But I feel like so much of that having come out in a big corporation that was, you know, there were times when I was, you know, like you had to go head to head against other people. And so, you know, having that sort of that belief in myself that I could, I could
0: do it. Right, right. Um, So can you talk about that, that, that jump from big corporation Mm -hmm. to, so to <laughs> to entrepreneur, what, yeah. yeah. To the entrepreneur, so there is, was, the yeah. Was next, there was, right?
1: there was a, a two years, two and a half year. Um, Intermission in there. Mm. So I I left uh, the big company, knowing that I did not want to go back to a gigantic corporation. I sort of assumed I would go to like you know an SMB, a small, to medium sized business, and um, sort of maybe do the same some of the same stuff, but be in client services or um, you know managing support team, you know doing something in product management.
0: Um, so well, sorry to interrupt. But yeah. Why why didn't you want to go back to? Why did you know you didn't want to go back to the big
1: the big yeah um, corporation i personally knew that i was just done with that size and scale mm. and that level of um sort of you know corporate corporate management you know mm. like I, it was super impressive to be able when i you know i'd go anywhere and i'd say i could be in a you know we were in botswana on a safari and people go where do you work we'd say microsoft they go oh okay great yep got it checkbox. Didn't know what I did, but you know, Checkbox, it's a company everybody knew, right? And so there was some security in that and that was nice, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot that comes with, there's a lot of, you know preparing to prepare to prepare for a presentation and you know things like that that come in you know just a giant corporation that you have to go through yeah and I just personally knew that I was I was ready to try my wings at something else yeah and um, and so um, so like going to just another big corporation was not in my was, was not what I personally wanted like I no longer needed sort of some of that security and that stability you know like I was like yep I, I'm, I'm, I'm good Um. So I always thought it was going to be like a small and medium-sized business, but then I knew I wanted to take a year off. So my whole goal, I quit, wanted to take a year off, wanted to travel the world and and sort of just kind of figure out who I was a little bit because I had definitely grown up in the corporation, which was great, but there was still pieces of me that I always thought like, oh, I could do that. I could do that. That's interesting. I could do that. So then... um, Uh, During sort of that intervening time I did, I went to Spain for the summer and sort of found, you know, found myself like, wow, this is incredible, like experiencing a different culture and, you know, living someplace, putting myself into a tiny, small town where I really didn't know what I was doing, had never been there, um, just sort of, I think, again, helped prove to me, like, I can do a lot of stuff, like, wow, I survived that, you know, like, good for me and uh and so then i started doing some consulting with small businesses mm-hmm. and what i found and that was interesting and fun and then i kept running up against you know so many small businesses you know the one that i would work with um you know they needed a, a little bit of help in different areas everybody sort of just needs a, a little bit of help but then even when that it was then like that's a little bit of help with your business which i was somewhat passionate about but then then in you know, brunch with my co-founder, it was like, gosh, it's it really in our personal lives where I feel like if people could get just a little bit of help with some of that minutia, they can just, maybe they can work more. Maybe they can work out more. Maybe they can you know, spend more time with their kids. I don't care what it is, but I just want to help them with that. So yeah. like, there was this two-year period of time where I was still sort of you know, figuring, figuring out my own, my own path.
0: Yeah. So before you left Microsoft... Was it a slow build for you where you had this, or was it an immediate, like No, it
1: was a a slow build. I mean, and I laugh and I I tell this to a few people. So um, every year there is a, um, they they do an annual survey, employee survey, and one of the questions on there, there's many questions, but one of them was like, how long do you expect to work for Microsoft? Hmm. Probably from about (laughs) year eight, I charted one to two years. (laughs) <laughs> one to two years. So for the next nine years, I said I was only going to be there one to two years more. Because uh, yeah. I'd always, but, you know, but then what I also knew about myself is that was always sort of, I, I wanted to jump into something different. But I also knew about myself that as long as I was there and super secure and being well rewarded and getting great assignments mm-hmm. and not having a bad time. Like, I mean, I was having a lot of fun, right? Yeah. I was never going to jump to something different. Like I knew that about myself, so I knew I personally needed to make a super clean break and just yeah. say, "I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I just need to I need to stop this so that I can go figure that out." Like yeah. I look at a ton of, you know, a lot of people are able to sort of work and work and then go on to their next great thing, like right out of the gate because they've been thinking about it or planning for it. But I, that was just not who I am personally. Like I was. Content where I was, and so yeah. I needed to sort of upset that apple cart a bit by saying, "No, this is mine." And and even at that, like I, you know, gave them a super long sort of like, "Hey, by this time, I want to be out." Like, you know, mm-hmm. so um, there was no ill will. There was no like, "Here's my two week notice, and I'm out the door." You know, yeah. I think I gave them three months, right? Yeah. So, um,
0: did it, you feel like a, a big part of your identity was wrapped up in? Yeah, being a Microsoft employee. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. I mean, I. That was probably one of the biggest challenges for me when i quit was just how do i when people say what do you do or who are you like yeah. how do i how did i now describe myself yeah and because i had always led um with my job right um which right. was challenging so trying to figure out so spending that time figuring out how do i say who i am and what i am you know i'm also a mom i'm a you know i'm a wife i'm a daughter you know i'm a Somewhat you know, okay Dominion player, like how do I want <laughs> to design myself right like which one of these new categories you know do i do I lead with yeah. um and so you know becoming it's interesting because I think that I've a bit replaced with my corporate identity with my entrepreneurship yeah. identity, so yeah. now when you ask me I, you know that will be the first thing I say is yeah. that oh i'm uh you know a founder of a startup,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And so for me, that's been a you know I was able that maybe that f- scratched that itch a little bit <laughs> of yeah. needing a, needing a new identity. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, Spain. Yeah. Why Spain? And what did what did you learn about yourself? Yeah,
1: in Spain? I mean, so it was an interesting, a little bit kismet and a little bit planned. Like I knew um, I wanted it to be a place where it was. Um, It was different enough than Seattle in the U.S. that I would Mm -hmm. feel like I was in a a foreign country. Um, But I also knew it needed to be um, in a place that it wasn't so out of my realm that I'd be able to somehow communicate. Um, I had taken Spanish in college, and so I was like, well, maybe it's a Spanish-speaking country. And so I'd looked all up and down. I looked all, there's a whole huge continent (laughs) that speaks Spanish, right? Um, And so I'd looked a lot in South America, and then I was sort of, sharing this with another friend of mine, like, hey, I'm looking, this is, I want to go spend the summer somewhere, I'm thinking Spanish speaking, or, and she's like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so, um, you know, it's a, with a new family at my son's school, um, you know, I think her family's from Spain, and so I, like, oh, that's right, so I call up this woman, we're chatting, I'm like, can you tell me about it, you know, what do you know, if you been there, she's like, and I'm like, I want to spend the summer, um, you know, I'm thinking, a, you know, a, so I'm describing, like, I want a small town, I don't want a big city, you know, a place where, you know we can feel like we can become part of the fabric of the community where there's a little store where there's a little you know like mm-hmm. and she's like I think I have the the right town for you <laughs> you know oh by the way you know like, the town where my mom grew up and we you know she saw like a family home there that they're trying to rent you know I was yeah. like so it also some of it was very planned and sort of strategic and then some of it was quite literally kismet in just sort of the right people at the right time me putting it out there to people and you know the universe sort of going great. Here's this lovely little town called Mojaca in, in southern Spain, right on the Mediterranean coast. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like check, check, fit all the bill. Right. I probably would never have found that town if right. you know if my friend's family hadn't, you know, her mom wasn't from there.
0: So you you reference this a little bit, but what did so what? Reflecting back on that time there, what what are you pulling out? Like what what yeah. did you learn about yourself? Yeah.
1: One is, I think, the resiliency of it all Um, and, you know, the like, okay, I need to try to figure out, um, you know, we were, we wanted to get on a ferry to go to across the, There's just this little strip of water that separates Spain from Morocco. I was like, we're going to Morocco. Mm -hmm. But how do you get on a ferry when you don't speak either one of the languages? Where do I even buy ferry tickets? And I really assumed, like, I had Morocco in my vision when I first went there. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of assumed, oh, it's so close. There's going to be, like, all these. It's going to be easy. I got out there, and people are like, no, why are you going to Morocco? Like, what? That's not a thing. You know, like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, really? And so, but, like, I had to figure in, you know, in a foreign language, um, you know, in a foreign place. You know, for the majority of the time, it was just myself and my my son was nine at the time Mm. driving around um, you know navigating small cities and but just being willing to sort of uh, you know walk in and make an ass out of myself like the number of sort of gas stations in on this dead road I'd walk in and be like "Hola," you know like try I didn't have great Spanish and bumble through and nod and smile and they'd write stuff down and point and But just, you know, like being willing and, you know, we'd be or we'd be somewhere and I'd like, where is that place I'm trying to get? And I just have to. okay, I'm asking that bus driver and they, you know, in really bad, broken Spanish and they would, you know, speak to me in a little bit of English and mostly Spanish. But just being willing to have, you know, like do that um, and having, you know, the number of people sort of, you know, in the little town we were, they, we got to know the people at the. There's one market. There's one like small grocery store, and you know a few of the restaurants. And you know we'd sit down, and we'd like, oh, what, what's this? What that? And they, you know, they'd say stuff, and I'd half, kind of half understand. You know, I was like, oh, I think it's lamb. I'm not sure how it's cooked, but it's <laughs> lamb for sure. What's that? Um, but you know, so then just sort of being willing to try stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. So one of the things I told my son before we went. Um, was, you know, he's nine. He's used to sort of the way life is. He's used to bread being a certain whatever. And <laughs> right. I said, you know, the important thing about it is what you'll know is stuff will be different. It doesn't make it wrong. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it right. It's just different. And yeah. you'll get to decide, you know, how you experience that. So if we go at it with a really open mind, mm-hmm. um, do it. Right. Um, the the At least in southern Spain, there's also just this culture of everything's a lot slower. You know, you would go out to dinner. We didn't, we'd go to dinner at 10 PM Mm -hmm. and you'd stay out to dinner until midnight. And some of that, I was antsy, but like I'm tired. Can I get my check? But it, you know, like nope, because you got to go through the certain pro, you know. And nobody, you were never waiting there. No waiter ever brought your check before you mm-hmm. asked for it. Um, and so some of that just slowing down. There's a ton of value in slowing down. Yeah. And just really, you know, noticing what's around. the The town we were in had this little, you know, had this square and five nights of the week there'd be some activity some dances some band and Mm. it would be it'd be midnight and there'd be families out with their kids just enjoying life yeah you know and not not being so caught up in what's my next appointment what's my next um, you know, where's, where's my next thing coming from? You know, like what's my next, next task to do? Yeah. Um, so learning, learning that it was, it was very helpful for me too, as well.
0: Well, yeah, I'm sure it changed your perspective on everything, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so to, to br- bringing your nine-year-old yeah. son, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, what a valuable experience for him as a nine-year-old and you as a parent and you and your relationship together. Um. Had, did you have an experience personally in foreign countries beyond like your standard vacation or was there something behind this that so, said, I'm gonna go live with my <laughs> son for a summer in a foreign country where I can't communicate very effectively? You know, I had done,
1: when I was in college, I had done a semester abroad. Yeah. I had done a semester in Mexico City, so that gave me a little bit of taste of that. Yeah. But sort of growing up, no, like growing up, I hadn't left the country I'd gone to Canada like once it was like yeah. as foreign as I had gotten all yeah. the way up until college, up until I had gone to um, this semester abroad in yeah. Mexico City. Um, but that personally for me really sort of lit this bug in me about maybe a little bit of wanderlust about of really trying to experience mm-hmm. other cultures and knowing. And so, um, you know, even prior to that, our vacations and my vacations had always tried to be way more immersive. You know, so we would go places for like two or three weeks and try to stay in small towns and and or, you know, travel, one of my favorite things is we took, you know, we traveled with people who were local. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. one of the benefits of living in Seattle in a huge cosmopolitan city, you you end up with friends who are from all these fabulous places around the world. So, you know, yeah. we, we went with, um, my husband's roommate was from Sri Lanka and he arranged for a few of us to go back to Sri Lanka with him for three weeks, right? Yeah. Like, that's incredible to yeah. see a country you're still a tourist, but you're seeing it in a different, in a different way, the way a local would be a tourist. Yeah. And, you know, seeing different, different things, yeah. um, you know, so just, so traveling has always been a part of who I am and sort yeah. of trying to understand these other cultures. And so it was very important for me to, for my son to have that yeah. sort of experience. Cause I, it's just, ex- expanded his worldview. I mean, it was so fun. you know, like I, before that I had said he had been taking, you know, some Spanish in school. I said, Hey, cool. Like we need to start practicing Spanish. And he's like, why you'll be there. You can speak Spanish for me. I'm like, okay, not very well, probably, but okay. And that was the other thing I told him is like, there'll be times buddy where I, um, won't know everything. Like coming from a world where as the parent, no, you know, in normal life, you're pretty much in, contr- you know, like, you you know about what's happening, you know, you got a lot of you know, you can manage most of a child's life. Um, but I had to tell him, like, there will be times when I'm lost, I'm frustrated, <laughs> I might even be scared, I can't communicate and I'm going to need you to, like, help me, right? Like, this will be a new experience where yeah. mommy doesn't know everything. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, what? But prior to that, he was like, well, why? you know, you'll be there, I don't need to learn how to speak Spanish. Um, and I think for him, because it just As a nine-year-old, it didn't make any sense. Like, why learn a foreign language? Like, what does that matter? You do that in school, and that's the only place. We get there, and within maybe, it's probably about the first month, he's like, oh, I really think I need to start studying Spanish. Like, he Mm -hmm. really took an interest in it when he realized... Entire countries, entire continents speak right. other languages. Like right. from his little brain, having been exposed, and we, he, you know, we'd gone on foreign vacations, but that was always just this little snippet that seemed, oh, those people are different. And yeah. so, um, you know, like for him to realize, like, wow, you know, foreign language. You don't, I don't care what foreign language it is, just being able to converse with somebody in a different language, in their language, and understand their culture a little better yeah. is so key.
0: Are there are there elements of that time? that you draw from in Hey Thrivey, Like that whole concept of like slowing down and there is some some kind of parallels there. When
1: I think about it, it really um, comes to, you know, helping people get help you know yeah. helping people like yeah. take time for what's important right. by help but you know by my company taking on some of those things that yes they can do for themselves right. but they shouldn't have to if right. you know if that's not what you know brings them joy or that you know it's taking time away from something else right. um you know and so I think that's a very important piece about you know just being sure that you are slowing down for the right parts, you know, and enjoying what's there and, you know, sort of living in that moment, um, you know, and letting somebody else, if somebody else is an expert in something else, let them handle it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I found somewhere in researching Dana that you had referenced, (laughs) um, uh, Danny Meyer and hospitality. I think you had listed that as your, your favorite book. Uh Uh-huh. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit and maybe that I'm putting you on the spot yeah. but just how does the, his philosophy or that idea setting the table is the book Yeah um, guide you running hey thrivey and working with home managers and getting there's there's a trust component yeah someone's opening their door and saying, come in in. yeah come into my you know
1: they let us into their lives um and very much so and that's you know a piece of it so you know thinking about hey thrivey almost as you know an in-home hospitality company so how can we Mm. help people take feel very taken care of Mm. in their own home and in their lives like we probably all experience restaurants or hotels that you go to where from the minute you walk in you sort of are not a want of anything right like the bed linens are these perfect fluffy things and the towels are lovely and you you just feel like wow they've really thought they've really thought of everything and so you know I read that book and thought it was so interesting to think about how can we sort of help give that feeling of being taken care of, mm-hmm. you know, for people in their day-to-day lives and in their homes so that they know they've got sort of this person that they can call on or this, you know, this best friend who's sort of, you know, ready ready to help them when they need to. Yeah. Um, and I really like that that book. I mean, he, he really ta- Danny Myers really talks a lot about sort of, you know, trying to breed that in and build that into all of his
0: restaurants. So I it's, we haven't talked about your experience as a podcast <laughs> host yeah, you were yeah. typically on the other side yes, here. Yeah. can you share what that
1: yeah, journey looked like that was it that was also a, um kind of an interesting journey so what i realized about myself was i'm actually really good at just jumping into stuff and figuring it out <laughs> like some of that spain some of that so um as it was i was uh, it was as i was trying to um sort of decide what to do next sort of after i'd quit um, my corporate gig, I was still figuring it out, met with a, she'd been a former colleague of mine and she was looking for a job too. We were sort of talking about like how many coffees we'd been on, how many you know, um, networking events we'd been to. And wow, like we were felt again felt very fortunate to sort of have the network and the network of network that we had. and yeah. wasn't that great, but you know not everybody had that sort of great of a network or you know gone through all this. And she's like, well, I wonder if we could do something with this. Like, is there a way to sort of make it easier for job seekers or people in their careers to sort of get this advice? And I I was like, probably. I don't know. Like, I'm not that creative. And so she's like, well, I'm going to think about it. So, you know, in a week, she said, let's go for coffee. I said, okay. She goes, like, what do you think about a podcast? I was like, okay, hold on. Let me... Google, what is a podcast? I, I mean, to that point, I had didn't have the podcast app on my phone. You know, like I then was like, let me think about it. like, okay, that sounds right. But it was a one to many. It was a way to get information out there. But then I just became like this ferocious consumer of podcasts because up until that point, I had not listened to a podcast. Right. And then she's suggesting, hey, why don't we do a podcast together? So I spent a little bit of time sort of listening to other podcasts, kind of figuring out. And then I was like, let's do it. Like what sort of you know I, I always do this quick calculation of like sort of what's the worst thing that could happen i'm like <laughs> yeah we record some stuff nobody listens like that's the worst thing that could happen right and who and if i had fun doing it well then yeah good for me but if one person <laughs> listened and got value i figured it was a score and so yeah. i went from having not listened to a podcast to yes being a podcast co-host um and and doing that for about nine months and we had a pretty ferocious um sort of schedule we got oh you know we got out like over 90 episodes and so in nine months i didn't realize
0: it was nine months yeah
1: like we cranked it uh we cranked it out um and it was an interesting topic we were you know able to interview some really cool people um, and so yeah that was that was very fun and then but then that was uh, there's always this question for me is sort of um you know for what you know? For what end are we doing right, that? And we were right. sort of doing it to have a podcast. And we're like, okay, at a certain point, that kind of goes. Okay, we yeah. we had a podcast. And- <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, are there guests that you can think of that just stick out, or was there a, something that you think of that? Yeah, that time frame? I mean,
1: we. Um, it was. It was nice because we sort of started with our within our own network of people to get to come be guests and then it became a network of network and then, you know, I got emboldened and started emailing random people who I had never met and had any connection to and so, you know, we got um, a gentleman from um the Simon Sinek organization, Start oh, with Why, yeah. who I was able to interview. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and you know, it was just such a meaningful like here's somebody who has built this whole piece around the Start with Why and all this. I was like, wow. One, he was willing to, you know, talk to me who a veritable nobody, um, but you know, come and be on uh sort of my podcast just simply because i pitched him and asked him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um yeah. and yeah, there was some of that. There were also some super awkward, you know, I was I mean, <laughs> The blooper reel that we had was pretty funny um we had a few foul-mouthed people we had one somebody who was hungover horribly
0: <laughs> admittedly admittedly, or, okay. admittedly <laughs> like
1: admittedly um yes um and some super funny people like you just get in these giggle you know you're just like oh my gosh i can't stop laughing um yeah like one of the questions I always ask was sort of, what would you tell your younger self? Yeah. And they were like, don't run on cement. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that's a great advice, but okay. There's
0: <laughs> probably some deep, some deep, yeah, deep, some deep history yes, there. Yeah. Um, um, I was going to ask you one more thing about the podcast before we shift the gears off of that. The, the cement threw me. <laughs>
1: See exactly. The so threw then, me. how do you come back from that, right? Like there are times, and you know, being a podcast host, you just sit there and you're like, "Oh my god, what's my next question?" <laughs> yeah.
0: I that's, had. That's what happened right there.
1: Exactly. Like I had somebody tell me because um, we, we, uh, one of the questions I ask people sometimes was, "Or what was your?" you know, first work, first job, um, you know, and he was like, you know, he was talking about that he worked at Burger King and he was like the employee of the month and Mm -hmm. that's like his shine, you know, he still looks back at that. and, And here was this prestigious, you know, business exec. And I was like, of all of his accomplishments, the ones he's bringing out as employee of the month at Burger King when he was 16, I was like, Wow. Awesome. Right. Like The things we sort of each individually take with us right, um, as right. you're sort of a shot, you know, an important turning point for you. Right. is Very telling.
0: The podcast was called Career Q.
1: The Career Q. The Career Q. Yeah. It it's still te- out there. It's still out there. Still available on I all, the to <laughs> all the places. last night. All the places you get there. your podcast. The yeah. first
0: one was in 16. Sorry,
1: yeah. Yeah. OK.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, okay, so actually, here's what I here's one insight that I gathered from the podcast. And actually, before I well, no, it's on here. It's actually a question. <laughs> so you had asked three questions to wrap up. Mm-hmm. That was always uh, okay, I don't know okay. if you always did that, yes, but, or if that was just in the episode that yeah, I listened no, to. So I thought here's an opportunity to flip the script. <laughs> I'm gonna throw these back at Dana. Okay. And Maybe she's already had a chance to think about it because she's asked it so many times. So the first one was, what was your first job?
1: Yeah. Um, my first job was I worked in a book bindery. It was a small book bindery um, my mom worked there and she said I'll get you a summer job and I thought it was going to be in the office because this was in between my junior and senior year of high school. I'm like cool. I'm going to get to file all this. Nope. I was in the back binding books.
0: What does that look like?
1: And it is a small book bindery, so not much automation. It looks like a book, you know, has you know thousands of pages in it, and they're printed on these big sheets that then get folded. So you Mm -hmm. walked around and to put together like a thousand-page book, you had to gather up like you know a hundred of like pre-printed little booklets. So you walked around a big table, like swish, 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 stacked it, put it in a stack. So like assembly line, Mm -hmm. manual style. My feet never hurt so much. Like <laughs> I had and then you had to make so like the bind like hardback books have, you know, like a cardboard in them and the binding. I yeah. made those. Yeah. Um, you know, and you'd get glue because there's glue. You've got like I come on with glue in my <laughs> hair, like the glue was hot, so occasionally you'd burn yourself. Like, like that really just gave me an appreciation of like real, honest, like manual labor. And from that moment on, my thought was, oh my God, I want to work in an office. (laughs) Like, just like, it was so, my feet hurt, Um, yeah.
0: Would you actually bind the book? So yeah, so then you
1: took all all these, you know, you basically gathered all these sections up, and so you'd have these giant stacks, and you had to then make the back bindings, you made the cover separate, Mm -hmm. and then you had a machine where you sent this giant stack of papers, down one side of it and the um the covers down another that had the card you know that had the card and it would like glue the spine of them together and and but then occasionally if that went awry it would still get the glue on the spine of the paper but the 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 cover wouldn't come through so you'd grab it and they'd have hot glue glue on on your hand yeah i mean so like (laughs) it
0: Teachers. That's a learning lesson. Yeah, uh huh. Do yeah, you still have scars on your <laughs> I'm like, hand? Can you no, point to You don't kind of point right there. No? I don't have okay. scars. I don't
1: have but uh, I remember it, and um, yeah, and yeah. So that was my first. That's. It was like, that's a good learning yeah, experience. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. Builds character. I had to show up every day, and that's what we did. And we built, we made books. It was a small book bindery, and so everything was by hand. I mean, so it also gave me, I think, that appreciation for sort of the difference in between, like. You know, you you'd look and you'd be like, "Oh, I think machines and other you know other binderies do that." Nope, that was me.
0: <laughs> you were the machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of books? What were you?
1: It was um, all sort of like people that were like either self-publishing or small publishing. Okay. A lot of sort of religious books yeah. of one sort or another. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So, question number two. Do you remember these questions?
1: Uh, the one about, yeah, what would you tell your.
0: Well, so you I don't, you, you, you went the other direction oh, well, was on that one. It's 90 year old self? It's 90 year old. The 90, one that I heard was, what would you say to your, your 90, 90 year, year old self?
1: self. Um, yes, that's right. That was the question. What would you tell your 90 year old self? Uh, I think I'd tell them, you did a good, you led a good life. Good job. And I kind of hope I'd come into that, like, you know, sliding a little hair out of place. <laughs> like, yes your 90 year olds have good one for making it to 90 you know that's a good thing Uh, but that you led a fun good life and hopefully you enjoy you know you enjoyed it all the way yep you weren't afraid of much
0: is there a reason why you selected 90
1: I think it was so many people because we talked about those questions before we started. Was um, so many people do say like, "What would you tell your younger self?" Mm -hmm. But it's like, what's what's the flip of that? Like, if you could talk to your ninety-year-old self, like, what would you say? Like, you you led a good life so far. Good job.
0: Yeah. Do you remember the last one?
1: No. But but book author or something was your favorite? Yes, Yes. Yes.
0: Well done. Read or listened to lately that can benefit others. What have you read or listened to lately that can benefit others?
1: I read or listened to lately that I would benefit others. Um, I feel like I'm a ferocious reader, but I can't think of any of the books. See, look, now I'm on the spot. <laughs> I did read uh, Blitz Scaling, uh, Reed Hoffman, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all about, sort of as the name might imply, scaling a business at sort of... Uh, <laughs> what speed right yeah. um, and it's an interesting piece of sort of the things you need to think about if you want to scale a business and how you do it uh, quickly yeah. Um, yeah. and so and you know Reed Hoffman's a, a great business mind so right. you can't go wrong with sort of that one's that one's I'm about three-quarters of the way through that one
0: are you how is that how are you using that within a yeah I
1: mean so it's helped I think thinking about like Um, what to scale, sort of, you know, what to think about when scaling a business and, Mm -hmm. you know, and how to think about it Um, in, and even they like, what's gonna make the most difference. So, you know, we are a bootstrapped company, which means, you know, we invested our money in and we are, making revenue and so we continue to sort of reinvest that that revenue back into the company and so um you know thinking about that in in contrast quite literally to you know like a vc funded company that has you know sort of way more um capital to deploy against things i just have to be smarter about that if i you know to think about how i scale the business and what's going to be the I don't have as much opportunity to sort of test, <laughs> like, hey, maybe I should put some money towards that. I have to yeah. be, uh, you know, a bit more judicious about like, okay, where, where's that, what's the right place to invest that, as I said, like either my capital or my time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so if you think back, so we've talked about a lot of different <laughs> stages in your life, but if you think back to, there, there have been some inflection points, mm-hmm. some pivotal moments where you... You had a fork in the road, um, or maybe multiple forks in the road, and you know you chose path A, let's say. Um, there, so the one of the goals of this podcast is to help people who are at those forks in the road, and the benefit of your hindsight yeah. on your journey and powering through and pushing. Maybe you chose path A. And maybe in hindsight, path a wasn't the right way, but eventually path a was or path b was, and you figure that out so for for somebody, maybe if you're talking to you know the Dana who is at year eleven <laughs> and is saying the next <laughs> one to two years yeah um just how would you how would you articulate your path and yeah. so ultimately if the goal is to break down barriers. Yep, yeah. Um, how would you encourage others to kind of push through and make those decisions and immerse themselves into specific right. or yeah. non-specific environments?
1: I mean, so I think, well, I've, I've thought a lot of, about this and I'm a this huge believer in uh, like this uh, philosophy, this theory called plan serendipity, which mm. for me, the way I think about it is, is I have to sort of be working towards a bigger path or goal, but at the same time, put myself out there in places where I can learn new things or have sort of that serendipity come upon me. It's like planned opportunities, right? So people who really, they appear lucky, they just, it's not as if they, like luck just happens upon them. They're actually putting themselves out there in the right places where they can meet the right people who then have that idea that they bring to them, right? Right. So it's this, but it's a very different path than, oh, in one year, I want to start a company. In year two, I want to have, you know, five employees. In year three, like, it's not that planful. Like, I'm actually, I'm not a huge believer, to be quite honest, in that super planful, you know, like, where do you want to be in five years? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, because five years ago, if you'd have told me I would be, you know, (laughs) have started a startup, you know, be sitting across from you, Sam, you know, being interviewed That would have been the furthest idea from my mind. So I'm actually like an I'm not anti-plan. I'm sort of this weird path in the middle where like I, sh- I need to be knowing sort of what some near-term goals are, but don't get so caught up in sort of my long-term goal that I put blinders on and miss opportunity that's there. Because sort of if anything in my career, whether at, you know, Microsoft or at post microsoft if i'd have been so focused on something i would have missed out on all of these opportunities you know like if i would at microsoft i've been so focused on nope i'm an hr professional right i need to be in hr i'd have missed out on it nope i'm so you know i've been so focused on this is my thing i'd have missed out on jumping into you know the the online world same thing goes with once i left if i was so focused on nope i just need to go get another job like and here's my it's going to be a small medium business and here it is i would have missed out on the opportunity to do the career queue with okay. Dave and Stacy, right? Okay. If I would have been so focused on, nope, well now's the time I need to go get, a, you know, a full time paid job, I would have missed the opportunity quite literally to invest in myself and invest in this company and start Hey Thrivey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a this big believer of like, while you need to keep working towards goals, don't get so focused in on them <clears throat> that you put blinders on. Because there's a whole world of opportunity out there, and you just, but you have to be open to it. Yeah. And if you're not at least partly open, sort of keeping your head looking around, because you're so dedicated to your path, you're gonna you're gonna miss it. And I and I believe that even in business. So you know there are things with Hey, Thrivey, You know some of these expansions. Like I could have very narrowly said, like, nope, this is where we're going with this business, and we could and we would have lost out on sort of other partnerships or other businesses. Um, but that's also very different to just being like. I don't know what i'm doing opportunity come meet me you know like ah! yeah. you know so so it's yeah. this interesting middle path for me yeah. um so for me that really works and i think for some people that's very scary it feels like i'm unplannedful. for mm-hmm. other people that feels way too planful <laughs> right. Um, right. but it's sort of that right piece for me to know that um i'm working towards sort of near-term goals uh, but that big, hairy goal out there can change. and I just have to be ready for some brand new idea to sort of pop its head up.
0: Is plan serendipity something that you coined, or is this? No, it's
1: that- a to- it's a term out oh. there. So if, yeah, if you uh, do internet searches, there's whole people that have sort of built philosophies on it, mm. written books on it, and stuff. Love and it. I went looking because this had been I didn't have a name for it. This yeah. had been um, I'd always called it my plan to not plan, yeah. um, which doesn't quite have the great ring. Um, <laughs> it's not bad. Um, but it was. Um, but I knew there was something out there. Like I knew there had to be other sort of philosophies or people out there sort of in career development. And yeah. so sort of I, I came across that name. I was like, and then I loved the name, right? Like, yeah. Plan Serendipity. Yeah,
0: it's it's got depth.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so where can we find you?
1: Ah, you can find Hey Thrivey at heythrivey.com. Mm-hmm. We're on all the regular social channels at Hey Thrivey. Um, You can look me up on uh, LinkedIn at Dana Redmond. I'm there. I also am on all the socials at Dana RE. Um, So come find me. I tweet occasionally. (laughs) I Instagram every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: thank you very much. This has been great,
1: Sam. Thank you so much. This was awesome.